Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Hello everyone, Pastor Jeremy here. I want to thank you so much for joining us today for this worship gathering. As you can see, I am wearing goggles. I like swimming. And the question I have for you is, where do you like swimming? Do you like swimming in a pool or in the ocean or maybe in Greenwood Lake in West Milford? But no matter what it is, I love swimming. But I love swimming not for exercise, but I love swimming for relaxation. I only like swimming in places where my feet actually touch the ground. Swimming reminds me of something that's so calming, so relaxing. It, it reminds me of being on vacation where I can just float on my back and experience weightlessness. When I think about a swimming pool, it's something that, that I look forward to. There is nothing stressful about it. How many of you watching have uh, remember your high school gym class? Do you have good memories about it or bad memories? Remember elementary school gym class? In elementary school gym class, it's so much fun. All you do is just play dodgeball every single week, right? But then in middle school and in high school, things start to get more serious in gym class. I remember for me in high school, we had to do this annual physical fitness test. And it took all the fun out of gym because this physical fitness test involved a series of tests to determine your physical aptitude and your physical acumen. You had to, they, they tested you to see how many sit-ups you could do, how many push-ups you can do, how many pull-ups you can do, how fast you could sprint, how fast you can do uh, run the mile, and all these things. And, and it was so intense because as teenagers, everybody was standing around watching you do this test. And they were watching all your victories as well as all of your failures. Now, I grew up swimming because my next-door neighbor had a pool. So I thought the swim portion of the test would be a piece of cake. It would be no problem at all. But when the session had begun and I found out exactly what they were testing on, I started to freak out. They were testing on all these things on, on how to tread water for a minute or more all your techniques and all the different types of strokes, like the side stroke and the, 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 the back stroke and the breast stroke. And all of a sudden, I, I was freaking out because this pool was not uh, my next-door neighbor's backyard tiny pool. This was a, an Olympic-sized high school pool that was so large and so big. I was even surprised that they even made this kind of test mandatory for everyone. And on, on top of all this, they, of course, did the swim block in the middle of the dead winter in February, where, where although the pool might have been a little warm, when you got out of the pool, it was freezing cold and, and made you miserable. So all of a sudden, it was, it was my turn, and the entire gym class was watching. And I jumped into the pool, and then I started doing what I thought was the, the normal side stroke, but I did it completely wrong. You're supposed to turn your head to the side to breathe and then turn your head down to blow bubbles. But instead of doing that, I messed up the whole thing. And I just started moving my head from left to right without blowing bubbles and just, just keeping my head above water to, to, to try to breathe. 
And, and the, the gym instructor said that my head looked like a window wiper going left to right, left to right. He was, he was kind of brutal. So I, I butchered all of the strokes. And on top of all that, I wasn't swimming efficiently. So I lost so much energy and I was getting exhausted. I had never been under so much pressure than I had at that moment. Why? Because everybody was watching me. The, the gym instructor was brutal. And I was messing everything up, and I was exhausted beyond words. It was a bad day. I thought halfway in that test that I was going to just sink and die in that pool. At the end of the test, I was shocked, and I was dumbfounded that I couldn't do this. Why? Because on top of all this, there were lots of unathletic kids there who were way more out of shape than me that completed this test so effortlessly. These were kids that did poorly on everything else. They couldn't do push-ups or sit-ups or, or pull-ups or anything like that. But when they got into the water, they were able to swim so beautifully with, in slow motion and, and effortlessly. And, and when they came out of the pool, when I came out of the pool, I looked like I, I was disheveled and I looked like I, I just had this near-death experience. But when they came out of the pool, they came out so relaxed and so calm and peaceful. The result of that test was that I had failed miserably and I had to go take the remedial swim class. The remedial swim class. I had never taken any kind of remedial class in my life. I could not believe it. That was, was, wasn't the, the relaxing pool experience that I had anticipated or expected. I'm sure for many of you here today, you can relate to a similar story in your life in which you were under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure in your life, whether socially or financially or in your career or anything else. Maybe you're watching and you are in that position right now. Today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting a new sermon series in the book of James called Under Pressure. How do we as Christians succeed under a life of pressure? So if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 1. The book of James chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first Verse. Greetings from James. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the twelve tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. So as we begin this series, I want to spend some time giving some background about, the, about this book of James. So the first question we need to ask ourselves is, who is this author? Who is this author of the book of James? Now, just like today, there, there are lots of guys out there that have the name Jim. And the same was true in, in those early church times. The name Jim, or actually a.k.a. James, was a very common name. And there were several James uh, p- people by the names of James that we see in Scripture. First, we know there was James, who was the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, and the two of them, but we know that he was martyred early in the church, so he was more than likely not the author. Then there was James, who was the son of Alphaeus. He was another one of the, the 12 disciples, but we really don't know too much about him, so it's probably not him. 
There's another James that, that is mentioned as the father of Judas, and it's probably not him. So that leaves us with James, the James who is the brother of Jesus. Yes, Jesus had brothers and a sister, but they were obviously half-siblings because Jesus, as we know, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by Joseph, and, and, but, but they all shared the same mother, Mary. So the evidence points to this brother James as being the author. So who is this James? Now, James in this book, he doesn't explicitly state that because he, does, he wants to be identified, as we've seen in, in this verse, he wants to be identified as a slave of God, as a servant of God. The fact that he was related to Jesus is irrelevant to him. It's very likely that James and his siblings did not even believe in, in Jesus or his divinity early on in his ministry. They just thought that he was a crazy brother. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, we see that this James had an encounter with him after the resurrection. And that was more than likely his conversion experience. But besides being related to Jesus, what's significant about this James is that James was the leader of the church of Jerusalem. He was a leader of that first early church, the bishop of that church. Paul, throughout Acts in the epistles references James as being that leader. He, he, he recognizes James's leadership in Galatians 2 verse 9. It was probably James that moderated the council of Jerusalem. And it was James that Paul had communicated with when he was on his missionary travels in, in, in Asia Minor. And, and, and he was communicating with him after prison and, and, and he came to visit James and the, and the early church with, with the offering that he brought from the other churches. So this James had to be a person of such deep spiritual, uh, of, of a deep spiritual life in order to gain a position of, of leadership in that early church. Being of a Jewish background himself, he was well-versed in, in the Jewish law. And in the book of James, we see lots of allusions to the Old Testament as well as the influenced teachings of Jesus. So who is James writing to? Who is the audience of this book? James is writing as a leader of the early church to the 12 tribes of believers, the 12 tribes of Israel that were scattered, which were the Jewish, it says a Jewish believer scattered all over the world. Now the word scattered in Greek it comes from the, the word diaspora, from which we get the English word to disperse. It's the same idea as if you had seed and you threw it to, to scatter the seed or disperse the seeds. So why, were the, uh, why was the early church scattered in the first place? We know that early in the book of Acts, the church enjoys a, a time of great favor and exponential growth and, and they're running on all cylinders and everything's going great. But all of a sudden, Stephen was martyred, and a persecution erupted in the early church, causing them to be scattered throughout the world for their lives. And what's really fascinating is that in just one generation, the gospel spread throughout the entire known world at that time, the Roman world, making it all the way to Rome, which was the center of that world. This all happened just in one generation. 
It's interesting that in the, in the Old Testament, God's people were exiled due to their sin. But in the New Testament and the New Covenant, God's people were exiled to bring his reign to the ends of the earth. So James was writing to the Jewish Christians because he was writing to them because they were far from home. They had lost their jobs. They had lost their careers. They had just lost their property. They lost their families, and they were living as exiles in this foreign land. They were an alienated people. Being of Jewish background, they were alienated from their foreign surroundings. But on top of that, by being Christian, they were alienated by their own traditional Jewish brothers and sisters that were there. They were living this life of, of being under great pressure because of their situation. So why did he, James write this to them? James was writing because he wanted to encourage those Jewish Christians. He wanted to encourage them and give them courage to live out their identity in the midst of being under great pressure. You see, the, these people that were scattered, they were facing all kinds of problems in their personal life. There were problems in their, in their church gatherings. They were facing temptation and everything in between. And among them, because they, they, were, they had left what they had known, there was great spiritual immaturity. They were impatient. They would talk a great game but not live it. They would not be controlling their, their words and the things they said. They would be fighting with each other. They would be coveting each other's possessions. They would be falling into the other ways of, of the world like materialism and consumerism. So what James was doing is he was reaching out and giving them instruction and, and calling them out back to what they believed, to live lives that are reflecting, reflective of Christ and his purity and his holiness so that other people would see Christ too. Why is this relevant to us? Why is this book relevant to us? You see, for all of us as believers and, and followers of Jesus, we are, are all exiles in a way, scattered throughout the world and all of its systems. Why? Because as believers, our home is in Christ. Our home is, is to be under the reign of the kingdom of heaven. But we are living this day, today, as exiles under the stress and pressures of a world that's under the dominion of the enemy, filled with different values, different things that are right and wrong, different priorities, different lifestyles, different attitudes. So we as, as exiles also have to ask ourselves the question, so then how do we live? So let's see what James has to say about that. The first thing he has to say is when you are under pressure, you need to put your troubles to work. Let your troubles work for you. So let's take a look at verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, notice this verse here says, when troubles come your way. 
It doesn't say if troubles will come your way or perhaps troubles will come your way. It says when troubles come your way, meaning that if you are a believer, you will face troubles in your life. It's guaranteed. Why? Because we're living in a broken world. We're living in a sinful world where, where troubles are inevitable and sometimes unavoidable. When you become a believer, it's a fallacy to think that, that your life and all, all, its, all its problems are, are going to suddenly disappear. See, Jesus even said to his disciples in John that, that in this world, you will have trouble. The word trouble here is translated from the word parasmos, which, which means to put something to the test or to put something to proof. And we know there are, there are also different types of of troubles. There are different types of trials. There are some troubles that we face in life just because we're human. Because of our human condition, there's, there, there's sickness, there are accidents that we face, there are disappointments, there are tragic circumstances. There are some troubles that we face because we are Christians and followers of Jesus. You may face persecution from others. You may face spiritual attack from the enemy. There are some trials that we face that are allowed by God to correct us and determine and guide our, our, our path from, from one place to another. But in the perception of the world, as you know, troubles are, are always considered something that, that's, that's bad and, and terrible. In the, in the eyes of the world, you are encouraged to run away from pain. You are encouraged to run away from discomfort, run away from anything that is uncomfortable and seek only things that bring you pleasure or comfort. But what James says is actually something of a paradox. He's saying that, he says, consider it an opportunity for joy, because when your faith is tested, your endurance grows. So let it grow when your endurance is fully developed, and you'll be perfect and complete. Why is this a paradox? Because with a kingdom attitude, Trials can actually have a greater and more meaningful purpose in your life. I remember uh, several summers ago, my family, we went out to Colorado and vacationed at Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, there's a town called, tourist town called Estes Park, which is right at the foot of these mountains. And in the middle of that, that, that town, there was this big river. This, actually, it was a small river slash stream that had a water wheel in it, so we wanted to go see that. There used to be water wheels everywhere where there were streams or rivers and mills, even all around here in New Jersey. You might even see some of the remnants of them. So that stream that was there, sometimes you know the water level was low, but when it had rained, it had a really strong, dangerous, powerful current that you couldn't even, you couldn't even step in it or go near it. But what the water wheel would do is that it would harness the power of the flowing water. It would harness its power, transforming the power of that violent stream into a work engine, turning gears, turning a mill to, to grind flour or do other types of, of work with that. I believe what, what James is saying is the same thing, that when you face the current of your trials and troubles and all these things that are coming your way, you are to put your trials to work. Let it work for you. Trials can work for you, not just against you. 
Trials build endurance. Endurance fully develops into who Christ is making you into be fully sanctified. So when you face troubles in your life, don't just toss it away or, or pass it away, but rather check out that opportunity. Trials are also a catalyst for growth and for maturity. I'm sure for many of us, we know lots of immature people in our lives. We know that, that immature people are people that are impatient. They're self-centered. They're ill-equipped to face their own life. They're ill-equipped for kingdom movement. But what does God want to do? What God wants us to do is he, wanna, he wants to produce in our lives patience and endurance and character and strength and courage and even faith when things get tough. You see, endurance is not something that, that can be built by just reading a book or listening to a sermon or going to a conference. Endurance can, it can only be some, it's only something that can be experienced. And it is only through those tough experiences that God can use you to accomplish his purposes. So put your troubles to work. Let them work for you. So how exactly do we do this? How do we operate under pressure and, and with our troubles? Can you just do it? Do this on your own? No. You need clear wisdom. You need clear instructions under pressure. And that's, that's the next point that James brings us to. Lean in to God's wisdom. Lean in to God's wisdom. Verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave in the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. So, I was recently watching a documentary on the sport of free diving, which I think is insane. Does anyone has anyone heard about the sport of free diving? Basically, it's a sport in which you try to beat world records in in diving deep into the abyss of the ocean to see how deep you can go and return back to the surface all unassisted by oxygen. And as I was watching this, I learned that there was so much more to this than just trying to see how long you could hold your breath. The diver, who is the free diver that was diving, couldn't just do it on their own, but before they had to be coached. They had to be coached on, on how to center themselves. They had to be coached on, on, on how to, to stay calm and how to be focused and how to be still and silent. And, and they had to be coached on how to lower their heart rate so they, so they don't panic. When you free dive, you have to conserve every ounce of energy. You have to conserve every heartbeat, every movement, and, and, and you have to control every thought in your mind in order to be successful. It wasn't just something that you trained for physically, but you needed wisdom and instruction to, 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 to guide you both mentally and emotionally to face this. So, for my story, because I couldn't pass the, the swim test, 
I had to do the remedial swim class. So I jumped into the remedial swim class with all the remedial swimmers and myself, and we unfortunately weren't allowed to go to the other more fun water blocks like water polo and all these things until we passed this class. But it was in that class where I learned the right techniques. It was in that class where I learned the right form on how to float on my back, on how to tread water, on how to center your breathing while swimming and learning how to do that. I had to learn to trust the instructor and trust his instructions and his methods. Why? Because he wanted to, me to learn how to swim with the right techniques. Because it could save my life and, and make me more natural. He wanted me to gain wisdom and his instruction in approaching this challenge under pressure. What is wisdom? Wisdom is, is simply the ability to apply knowledge in the correct manner. You could have all the so-called knowledge in the world. You can have the internet. You can, you can listen to sermons. You can read all the books. You can go to all the conferences. But if you don't know how to apply knowledge at the right place, at the right time, in the right circumstances, then it doesn't matter. Wisdom only comes from applying knowledge and, 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 and actually having that experience as it grows. What James is saying is that if we need wisdom, we need to ask God for it. And when you ask him, he will not rebuke you. He will not belittle you. Meaning that if, if you are facing a trial under pressure, and even if you got yourself into that mess in the first place, you need to seek his wisdom. And what he will do is he will instruct you, navigating you, coaching you through the troubles, using it as an opportunity for growth and maturity. We know the, the Holy Spirit is our like a counselor. He's like our coach. He's like a, he, he's like our counselor that, that guides us and instructs us in times of trouble. And also, if you're not sure where to turn for every circumstance in life, you can turn to God's Word, the Bible, and find wisdom and instruction on the situation that you are dealing with. You don't need to go on some, some crazy spiritual pil pilgrimage to the ends of the earth, to, to the top of Mount Everest in some kind of cave where there's to find some person that has this, this ancient secret knowledge that was hidden for centuries in a monastery. No, you need to, to go to God because it says that God gives wisdom freely and it's available for you. In addition, what James is saying here is that we need to ask in faith. When we ask him, we need to ask in faith, not wavering in our faith in who God is and what he is instructing us to do. He gives us this warning, don't be double-minded. Because if you're double-minded, you will be tossed by the wind and the waves. You can't serve two masters. How many of you have had an experience where, where you were driving a car and there were two backseat drivers in the back arguing with each other about which way to go? It just doesn't work. Just like trusting a, a, a swim coach, you need to trust God 100% in the midst of that, that moment that you are under pressure or under trial and not go back and forth. Because if you go back and forth and, and if your loyalty is divided between God's wisdom and his instruction 
and what you believe to be true and, and your own experience or you're listening to some other voices or, or some other people, what he's saying is that you will be unstable and you will sink and drown in that situation. So how many times have, I'm sure for all of us we can relate to, there have been times in our life where we were under pressure but did not operate in the wisdom of God. There are also times in, in which we've, we've faced a lot of pressure, but in the midst of that pressure, we have made stupid or rash decisions falling into temptation. Under pressure, maybe due to our pride or our fear or our jealousy or our stress. And this brings us to James's next point. When you were facing a situation that, in, in which you were under pressure, we need to stay humble. So stay humble. Let's look at verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God had, has humbled them. They will fade away like a, like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I remember uh, many years ago now, uh, we took a trip, the youth leaders and I, we took a trip with the uh, youth group of our church to a very infamous water park in New Jersey. When we got to that that park, the whole park was filled with, with teens everywhere. And in this one section of the park, there were all these cliffs that were there, and people would line up by those cliffs on different points to jump off into a pool that was there below. Unfortunately, there were some people, some teens that were there that really couldn't swim, but they were there because they were under pressure and and, and uh, under the pressure to, to look cool with, with all of their, their friends that were around them. So while we were nearby that area, all of a sudden we hear this great commotion. We hear lifeguards blowing their whistles. We hear people jumping into the water and everyone yelling. Apparently there was one guy there who, who was struggling to swim after he had jumped in. Apparently he did not know how to swim. He was probably under so much stress and so much pressure in, in, in what was going on there that his pride led him to fall into temptation, listening to the people around him, to make a foolish decision to, to jump. And that was a decision that could have costed him his life. Thankfully, he was totally fine. He was okay at the end. It was just a, a, a scare. But what I believe that James is telling us is something very similar. He's telling us that when we are facing a situation under pressure, he's warning us that, that we should not fall into temptation. And instead, we are to remain humble. And he gives a few examples. If you are poor, you may be under pressure in your life, to, to the, under the pressure to have the temptation of trusting yourself and putting yourself in the center because you lack resources, or even if you don't have anything, it's important to remain humble. And if you're someone, likewise, if you're someone that's rich, you may have a different set of pressures that you face, maybe liabilities, maybe risks, 
or not wanting to lose what you have. In both cases, no matter what the pressures are, what the temptations are, we are to remain humble and not fall into temptation and heed God's wisdom. In God's economy, which is eternal, possessions and wealth don't matter because they will all fade away. And what James is warning us and telling us to do is when you are under pressure, don't make any stupid or rash decisions and fall into temptation. Just like maybe Abraham with Hagar or Moses striking the rock twice or Peter cutting off the soldier's ear. I know the question that that we may all have when we read this passage is, is how long do we have to endure? How, how, how long do we have to endure all these things where we face all these trials and troubles? What James tells us is that the trials and troubles and temptations are not forever. James says that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation and those who love him, for they will receive the crown of life. It is given to all. It is given to all who love Him. It's not based on uh, on on how perfect you are and, and and how good you can accomplish all these things. But it's given simply to all those who love Him. Despite all the pressures that and everything we face, what God is doing is He is perfecting us, and He has something magnificent in store for our lives. So in the meantime, stay humble and hold on to the long-term perspective. Because the prize is yours. So as we study this, the beginning of this book of James, we learn three things. First, when you're under pressure, put your troubles to work. Let your troubles work for you so that you're not overwhelmed, but you put it to work so you take advantage of the situation. Second, when you are under pressure, don't just lean into your own wisdom or your own instructions or, or the voices of others, but instead lean into God's wisdom. He can instruct you in the midst of that circumstance. And third, when you're facing a situation that you're under pressure, don't throw in the towel, don't do anything stupid, don't fall into temptation, but stay humble at all times. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, no matter what your situation is. <laughs> Maybe there are some of you here watching that, that you have gotten yourself into some troubles in life that has brought you to a place of, of pressure and trouble right now. What God is saying is, if you are willing to stay humble and continue to trust God for His wisdom, He will navigate you through this situation and push into the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will guide you and sanctify you and develop you, and He will take you to a place of redemption. Maybe there are some of you here today that you are under pressure in life for things that, are, that you can't explain, for circumstances that are outside of your control, whether it be spiritual attack or a sudden illness, or uh, some kind of crisis problem in your career, or your family, or with your finances, or your friends, or, or, or pressures, or temptations that you might be having out, out completely out of the blue. If that's you, we, I want to remind you that, that as believers, as followers of Jesus, 
We are not called to make simply make peace with our troubles. We are not called to just surrender to our troubles. But instead of surrendering and instead of reacting in a way that is destructive or unproductive and, and in a way where we fall into anger or sin or despair or fight against things that are out of our control, we are, we are called to brace up, put on our wisdom and, and, and knowledge from God and stay humble and embrace the situation and walk through it with Jesus. You know, my, uh, my son Maxwell, is, he is a little version of me, and he really enjoys his time in the pool. And I want him to enjoy his time in the pool too. But as his dad, I want to train him to be able to swim one day. You know, he doesn't always like it when I test him and when I encourage him. He doesn't always like it when I go further and further away from him and I tell him to come swim to me farther and farther away. He doesn't like it when I challenge him to, to touch the, 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 the pool floor or, or to get the rings or try to go underwater. And he totally hates it when I push him and when I test him to try to float on his back. But as for me, his dad, I have the long-term perspective in mind for him. If he were to ever fall into a pool or a body of water, I don't want him to panic, but I want him to have the best chance possible to remember all the instructions and the wisdom that I had given him to stay calm, to tread water, to swim back to safety, or maybe even someday save, help save someone else's life. You know, for me, I'm someone that has, in the past, that has struggled very much with anxiety. And when troubles and pressure ha ha would come my way, my, my immediate reaction would be always to be overly anxious and just, and just run away and hide and go hide under a rock. But embracing trials over the years have, have taught me maturity. It has built in me endurance, and it's a process that God has been doing uh, time and time again, and, and it's an ongoing process. When you go through trials in your faith, what happens is this. You come out battle-hardened. You come out hardened with resilience, with courage, with hope, and with power through Christ. These are the type of people that God wants to use. We're going to move now into a time of worship. And as we move into this time of worship, I want to leave with you an image. In the Gospel of Matthew, there is a story, a narrative in which the disciples were in the, the Sea of Galilee. And it was the middle of the night. They were on this boat. It was a stormy sea. The, the wind was, was blowing. The waves were, were crashing. They were afraid that, that, that they may fall into the water and drown and die. And in the midst of all this, what they see to appear as, as Jesus, they, they see this, this ghost, this apparition. They, they think of Jesus walking toward them, and they're terrified from, 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 from everything that's going on under pressure at that moment. But notice what Jesus says to him, what it says to the disciples. He says this, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And then Peter called out to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. 
And Jesus says, yes, come. Maybe there are some of you here today that you were under pressure from a storm in your life. And what you've been trying to do is to run away from it. But instead of running away, Jesus is is reaching out his hand and telling you to get your feet wet. That he has you. That that he, he, he wants to take you to a place of restoration. He wants to walk you through this storm and this situation together with him. So as we worship, let's picture that image. Being in the storm, reaching out and taking Jesus' hands and stepping into the water. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.